Welcome to HSBC Global Viewpoint, the podcast series that brings together business leaders and industry experts to explore the latest global insights, trends, and opportunities. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes. Thanks for listening, and now on to today's show. Welcome to the Emerging Market Spotlight, a podcast series from HSBC. The emerging markets landscape is more complex than ever, at a time of divergent monetary policy, high commodity prices, supply chain disruptions, and geopolitical tensions. Join us as we speak with world's leading institutional investors, experts, policymakers, and thought leaders. To explore the challenges and opportunities, make sure you subscribe to HSBC Global Viewpoint and stay up to date with new episodes. Thanks for listening, and now on to today's show. Hi, good morning, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. We are going to discuss about this uh, phenomenon of uh, nearshoring to Mexico, which has become a key uh, trend and a key theme for the Mexican economic outlook. I will be joined by uh, two persons that are very close to the theme and that can share with us a lot of color on what has been happening uh, over the last few months about this theme, and especially on what can we expect going forward uh, and and the relevant themes uh, behind this. Uh, firstly, uh, we have uh, Eduardo Ramos, uh, who is a senior consultant uh, in public policy and affairs uh, and international trade at De La Calle Madrazo Mancera. Uh, and we are also joined by our uh, HSBC Mexico CEO, uh, Jorge Arce. So, Eduardo, Jorge, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, thank you. Thank you, everyone. Uh, it's a privilege to be sharing this with you. Let me start by saying... Uh, uh, something about nearshoring, and uh, and it is very clear that there were certain structural conditions and some geopolitical events and even some emergency situations that favor nearshoring in Mexico, and that's very clear. Uh, the structural one, and it is, would be very obvious for everyone, it's the technological changes that basically allow uh, the firms to reduce the segments of the global value chains. And think, certainly that's, uh, that's a key structural thing that, that allows nearshoring, not only in Mexico, of course, but in other places. But also it is very clear that the US-China trade and technological war was another uh, important element that fostered nearshoring in terms of the necessity to have reliance on, on, uh, on the value chains. And lastly, uh, but not less important, the political regional initiatives. And of course, one of the most important one in of the most important ones uh, in Mexico relates to the USMCA. Now, uh, however, I have to say the following. We're talking about nearshoring, but let me say what it is not. Does not mean the relocation of all investments from one region or country to another, say Asia or China, into Mexico or North America. That's that's not nearshoring. And nearshoring, uh, 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 Neither is the relocation of complete, complete value chains from, from one place to another. Normally, this relocation takes place in segments. That is, uh, segments of the value chains are going to move from one place to another 
uh, where these countries or they are relocating are competitive. Otherwise, they wouldn't be moving. So, so this is kind of, kind of important because otherwise, uh, we can have the sense that the whole value chains are going to move completely with all uh, their segments from one place to another, and that's not the case. Now, we need to have into account also, and I assume that uh, at the bank you look at this every day, that nurturing could be cost costly, and in some cases it's impractical to serve uh, some other markets. We cannot move everything into Mexico or North America to serve, for example, Asian markets. That could not work. So that's important to say. And uh, and something that reflects this is that, for example, with with China, when we say that relocation is taking place and things are moving from China into other places, it is true that in some cases this is not taking place. Some value chains or some segments of the value chains remain in China, even uh, with the tariffs that the U.S. has imposed into China. So this would be an example that not all the value chains or their segments could be moving from one place to another. Certainly, uh, Mexico has the right uh, context to benefit from nearshoring. And uh, the economic context is a little bit challenging in the sense that the U.S. economy is slowing down. The good news is that we won't have a recession, but we're going to have a soft landing. And basically this means because the high integration between Mexico and the US economy, what this means is it will be a little bit more difficult for Mexico to increase its participation in the US economy. But this is happening regardless of the facts that industrial activity in the US, regardless of the fact that uh, US imports are slowing down. So then to finalize, you're showing I believe that it's an historic opportunity for Mexico, but certainly the country has challenges. There is evidence that this is happening, but the country would have to make things right in order to take advantage of the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you so much, Eduardo. Very, very clear. So now, uh, Jorge, any, any initial remark you would like to make? Thank you, Jose Carlos. Thank you, Eduardo. And I couldn't agree with Eduardo's comments more. I think it's important also to put a context of where Mexico is what is nearshoring and what is Mexico's economy look like. For the last 30 years, Mexico has turned itself around into an import-export country in which you have the ability to export import inputs and, and produce inputs locally and export to the world thanks to over 40-something free trade agreements. The most important, obviously, the what we used to know as NAFTA, now is USMCA with its updated um, version. And, and no country is more open than Mexico. So we created this ecosystem in logistics, factories, workers, um, that is geared to export to the world and to trade with the world. So nobody buys more from the U.S. than Mexico, and nobody sells more to the U.S. than Mexico. But that's also the case with other trading partners throughout the world. So Mexico has turned itself during the last 30 years into this export powerhouse. Within this basis, we are more than able to benefit from reallocation of supply chains or production facilities that we call it now nearshoring, which are coming from other parts of the, of the world that really never invested in Mexico in a substantial manner as they are doing now. What is happening is within this context, Mexico can capture that opportunity and we see that we are capturing it. So the opportunity here is not relocate supply chains, relocate operations, relocate factories from Asia, China into Mexico, but to work in coordination 
and have the opportunity to be more efficient to service your markets and your clients. And that's the primary accelerator of investment in Mexico that we've seen this year, for example. That this year we're going to see probably an excess of $40 billion in, in foreign direct investment, which will be the record of records. That's clear evidence that Mexico is benefiting from this trend. And it's local companies already producing in Mexico, but also new entrants uh, producing in Mexico to sell to the world. Excellent, Jorge. Thank you. Eduardo, maybe if you can elaborate a bit, for example, on what kind of evidence would you be uh, seeing uh, in the last uh, few months or what kind of evidence uh, can we start to look more clearly in the in the next few uh, months? Uh, maybe we can kick off with that. Okay, perfect, Jose Carlos. Uh, let me concentrate on one variable and uh, I think it's a clear evidence that nurturing is happening. And uh, then I can mention some other ones in which we, uh, and, and Jorge has mentioned some of them, and but we can say that this new showing is happening clearly. Let me take just as a reference, uh, uh, the starting of the trade war between China and the US, and just take as a reference the participation that Mexico has in US market, uh, and also the participation that China has in US market. Certainly, this participation has uh, fallen for China. And in terms of percentage points, this, uh, this fall represents almost eight percentage points since uh, between 2018 and, and 2023. Uh, most of this fall took place between 2018 and, 20, uh, and 2022. And, uh, and the fall be between these, uh, these years 18 and 22 was of, of almost five percentage points. That's the fall that China had uh, in its participation in U.S. imports. Now, uh, in contrast, between uh, 2018 and 2023, Mexico has increased uh, its participation in U.S. imports in almost two percentage points. Now, a way to to measure, so to speak, uh, this new shoring. Uh, and once again, this is just one indicator, is somehow how Mexico has taken advantage of this fall of, U of China's participation in U.S. imports and taking that participation. And, uh, and that's uh, maybe that's the main indicator that, uh, that insurance is happening in Mexico. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's very clear, uh, Eduardo. Thank you. Uh, and maybe now that you mentioned all of this and this uh, evidence that is starting to be a bit more clear uh, uh, with some uh, macro indicators, uh, maybe, uh, Jorge, we can uh, move uh, with you. Uh, you have been traveling the country in the last couple of years to meet many of our national customers, and you have also had conversations with uh, global customers. And it seems that uh, the concept about nearshoring that was one year ago, two years ago, is very different to the one that we have now, right? In the sense that two years ago, it was kind of a nice story that if everything was going to be okay, probably it was opportunity. But now it seems that when you talk to uh, either local or global customers, nearshoring has become kind of a key part of the narrative, key part of their uh, plans or of their operation plans for the next one, two, three, four years. Um, so maybe it's a good opportunity to ask you, uh, what's the sentiment you have perceived from these customers uh, recently in the meetings that you have had? Uh, how do you think they are incorporating that? And any color you might uh, give us to, to, to probably 
get some um, sentiment from, from customers. Okay. There are two phenomena playing. The first one is that, and, and this is the easiest one that we all are aware of, is that Mexico is uh, such an important trade partner of US and Canada that it has uh, specialized its economy in certain sectors that has strong competitive advantages and that it's a world leader. Also, we have seen in Mexico the development of a complete new industry that never exported before, so uh, which is the agricultural sector. So in Mexico, we're seeing a lot of the production of berries uh, coming into Mexico and, and obviously avocado, tomatoes. So Mexico is going to export in agricultural products this year, $77 billion, okay? That makes them one of the top exporters of agricultural products in the world that never happened before. In the other side, on the near shoring, we're seeing companies, middle-sized companies that used to have or, or continue to have a manufacturing production in China, in Southeast Asia, coming to Mexico to look for, for local contractual manufacturers to put their own plants, to, to co-invest, because they want to produce uh, kitchen utensils to sell to, to the typical retailers in the U.S. Different types of companies that are coming to Mexico to set up production, to sell, and adjust time inventory to retailers that they're looking for. So that is new, okay? And, and they come to Mexico and they say, well, we might not be able to source stainless steel of this quality in North America, but we can import it from China or from Germany. Well, Mexico can import that almost free of tariffs. But the end product probably is going to be made in Mexico to sell in Black Friday into the US in a just-in-time inventory basis. So we are seeing different players that we never saw before. And that's where the strength of foreign investment is coming. That's where we are seeing the growth in exports and different type of exports. Excellent. I mean, talking about this sentiment, talking about this evidence, uh, the next natural question would be, for example, given what you were mentioning about what is nearshoring and what is not, in this context, for example, of about having different uh, phases of developments according to every specific sector that we have in Mexico, uh, in your point of view, which are the sectors that probably can benefit the most or which are the sectors that probably have an edge over the rest of the sectors? Absolutely. And um, look, obviously we have the, the competitive advantage to produce cars and auto parts. Uh, I have, we, have met, we have met with a lot of CEOs from global companies from Asia, Europe, and the US when they come to Mexico. And they say that there is no better place to produce cars than in Mexico. Why? Because we have the ecosystem. We have done it for the last, uh, well, in scale with for the last 70 years. But uh, to do an exporting-driven auto sector for the last 30. So critical mass, you, you develop a lot of expertise, you develop a workforce, a relationship with unions that are so important right now. You see what's happening in the US. So there is no better place to produce a car and most profitable. There are companies in the US that credit Mexico to have saved the companies when they move production here after the crisis, the economic crisis. But we don't see in the headlines something that is happening every year that all the large producers of cars in the world are increasing their investment in Mexico and using Mexico to invest to as platform for global platforms. And that will continue. And that has developed local suppliers of parts. So we export much more parts than finished product. 
okay? And that has developed, those producers of auto parts also produce other things for other industries. So we are talking about the medical sector, uh, medical devices, uh, appliances. So we have developed this expertise in metal works, in certain appliances and auto parts that is the, probably the main driving force of manufacturer exports. But also heavy industry is producing in Mexico. Uh, a lot of new companies that used to produce in Mexico, certain products are expanding their production. And that's when uh, some of our Asian clients come to Mexico and says, I need this plastic, I need this uh, uh, pro uh, supplier that can uh, shape this aluminum piece in this way, and I need these uh, compressors, where can I find them? And they say, yeah, you can find them here and here and here. So right now we used to have clients that only produce pumps. Now we're producing end products like uh, lawnmowers. Uh, so this sophistication is only happening in Mexico because it's openness, obviously the geographical closeness to the US, but also it's because it's so easy to invest in Mexico. No, you don't have exchange controls. The peso is free tradable. You can hedge. You can do many other things. There's plenty of financing, local and international, to put something in Mexico. So that's an additional derivative that people don't see that has been created during the last 30 years. Excellent. Thank you, Jorge. As in every uh, opportunity or big trend, such as the one that we are seeing with Nearshoring, of course, uh, there are also some uh, challenges, some things that can be done a bit better in order to speed up some of the investment. There are some things that uh, can be um, updated in order to try to be a bit more aligned with the dynamics that, that we are seeing now. So maybe we can start with you, Eduardo. I mean, from your point of view, uh, what are these uh, challenges that the Mexican economy has currently in order to improve the dynamics? If you can give us like uh, the, the big picture and, and your uh, main uh, challenges from your point of view would be would be appreciated. There are very many, <laughs> but basically maybe one of the most important ones relates to energy, availability of energy. And uh, this is not energy just in general. We need sufficient, competitive and clean energy. Uh, it's obvious that we need sufficient energy but uh, we need clean energy because of all the commitments that, co that countries and enterprises have in terms of producing with clean energy. And, uh, and, uh, and of course, as we have this process of electrification of the economy, this is going to be more the case in the future. So this is maybe one of the most important challenges that we have. Maybe the second one relates basically to human capital. We do have a lot of qualified workforce that even that real salaries have increased, we're still competitive in, in the world. But in any case, if we need to, to bring uh, these segments of the value chains that are uh, more uh, technologically intensive, we have a challenge to reskill and upskill our workforce. And uh, so that's maybe the second challenge that I, that I would mention. And, uh, and the third one, uh, we also have a challenge in terms of logistics and infrastructure. This includes industrial parks. And, and, and it's amazing the demand that they are having in terms of space. The availability of, uh, of parks is reducing, even though they're increasing uh, capacity. So, and, and these rents are going up. 
So, so we have a challenge there together with that of uh, infrastructure, transportation infrastructure also. I would stop there. We have others, but I would say that these are the three most important ones. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Jorge, maybe we can um, go with you with a, a question that we have about uh, regional performances, right? Uh, but I mean, uh, if you can share a bit uh, of, of your thoughts and color on how do you see, for example, this regional performance? Because it seems that the focus is starting to shift towards some southern states. A uh, couple of months ago, there were some uh, fiscal incentives announced in order to try to develop this Istmo de Tehuantepec corridor that is uh, pretending to connect the east and west of the country and, and work as an interoceanic uh, corridor to be there. So uh, would you say that only the northern states of the country are dominating their, this story? Because we have already heard like some uh, actual investment cases in some southern states. So, I mean, any any thoughts, any insight you have on, on that at the regional level? Well, I think that's one of the biggest challenges that Mexico has faced for generations and generations is the how unequal development has been between center northern states and uh, some of the coasts and southern Mexico. So Mexico is probably two or uh, three countries in one. And uh, this is one of the challenges that the country has. And so what we see, obviously, it's central Mexico, Mexico City, for example, Mexico City is a great story. Uh, we see uh, an ecosystem of fintechs and technology companies and movie production companies. Even us, for example, we are doing nearshoring. We have moved, we have about 2,500 uh, uh, jobs in Mexico City that service HSBC globally. And we not only do like low value added uh, services, we do over 600 services that some of them are highly skilled data analytics and, and how we use that data to provide services to our clients. It's not just only transactional and, 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 and mechanical, it's real engineering, real things. So the central part of Mexico, which we call it the Bajio and even the Guadalajara region on, on Occidente, and that's a particular area that's doing really well also because agriculture is growing at rates that you cannot see even in, in, in the most dynamic areas of Asia, okay? Uh, northern part of Mexico is saturated. Most people are moving further south uh, for certain things. And, uh, and those cities in central Mexico tend to be developed because when you go to Mexico, you not only want to have cheap labor, or electricity, or logistics, you want to have your executives to live in a city that has a cultural life, schools, and, and those cities in the northern part of Mexico, the west, central Mexico, they are better gear. But there is good uh, incentives to go to southern Mexico. So we see that a lot of things are happening that are going to help develop the south, further develop the north, and change the what we do as a country depending on where you are located. Thank you. Thank you, Jorge. Well, we are now uh, out of time. Uh, I just want to thank you both for being with us. I think that this was a very productive discussion. So for the moment, uh, thanks so much to both of you and thank you everyone for joining us. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Emerging Markets Spotlight. We hope you enjoy the discussion. 
HSBC is uniquely positioned to connect investors and corporates internationally. To learn more about anything you heard today, visit gbm.hsbc.com or contact your HSBC representative. Make sure you subscribe to HSBC Global Viewpoint and stay up to date with new episodes. Thank you for joining us at HSBC Global Viewpoint. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes.